Welcome back to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. Today's segment is Caring is Giving with yours truly, L. Cole. We have a very exciting guest today, so please continue listening to the full episode. This podcast is powered by the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, and we would like you to remember that the information shared on the Vitamin SC3 podcast is for informational or educational purposes only and does not substitute professional medical advice or consultations with healthcare professionals. To become a member of the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, visit sicklecellconsortium.org. The Sickle Cell Consortium is a collaborative designed a little bit like the United Nations in theory so that we can bring together many organizations for sickle cell throughout the country and now throughout the world as well as um, independent patient caregiver leaders, opinion leaders, advocates, those that are active in this space. And our goal is, what we've always done, is bring our community together so that we can create projects, priorities, initiatives. We can figure out what are the problems, needs, and gaps in the sickle cell community, and then figure out how we're going to collectively address this. Welcome to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. I am super excited about today's Caring is Giving segment. Today I have a mom with us who is a sickle cell warrior mom. So she doesn't have sickle cell, her children do. And I have just, over the years, I've found a lot of strength and encouragement from our guest today. And our guest is Francine Baker. And I'm going to let her introduce herself because I think she has a unique caregiving story about how sickle cell and advocacy have fueled her passions. So Francine, welcome to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. And tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your children. How old are they? Yes. Hi. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, to be on the show. Um, yeah, my um, whole story, my journey with sickle cell disease and being an, an advocate and even my um, career um, trajectory um, is a result of having two uh, now young adults with sickle cell SS disease. And so um, when my uh, children were uh, initially born and diagnosed, I knew what I learned in high school biology about sickle cell disease. Um, even when my, my daughter, um, who is the youngest, uh, youngest of the two, were, um, was di- was, when I was pregnant with her, um, I didn't think that I had to worry. I already had one child that had sickle cell disease, so my one in four was good. Um, I got another lesson on what that Punnett Square meant um, on that day when I told my um, OBGYN that, um, I don't have to worry. So he, he, he schooled me. Yeah, no, you actually have to worry. Every time you get pregnant, you got to worry about that. Um, and so that kind of begun my um, advocacy uh, interest because I realized in that moment that, uh, yeah, what we are taught in high school biology is not really what we need to be teaching people who have sickle cell trait. Um, and it's more than just a one in four chance that you will end up with a child with sickle cell disease if you have 
uh, the sickle cell trait, it's every time you get pregnant. <laughs> that pregnancy is a one in four chance that that child would end up with sickle cell disease. Um, and so as a result of, I do have three children, two um, with SS and one is a trait carrier. Um, but as a result of me feeling that I was not properly informed, I made it my uh, life's mission to um, better educate individuals who are not only trait carriers, but the families and loved ones and people within our community um, so that they too can be uh, informed on what it means to have sickle cell trait and also to um, work towards creating policies and ensuring that uh, bills are passed that will help our sickle cell warriors have a better quality of life. And so right now um, I have a bachelor's in public health science. That was because I figured, well, if I'm going to become an advocate, I better learn what the best way is to become an advocate. So I went back to school and got my bachelor's in public health science. I also have a master's in biology um, because I want to understand the science behind sickle cell um, disease, and I felt the best way for me to do that, besides the fact that I absolutely positively love science, was to um, get a degree that will help me to, to, to do just that. Um, and I will be uh, working on um, my Ph.D. in immunology because that is a, an area in sickle cell um, that is um, missing where we need to better understand how our um, immune system and our, um, how our body reacts to, to the different kinds of medications that's being given constantly and penicillin is given from birth. So, um, yeah, it's good, but we also know that um, antibiotics don't just kill uh, the bad stuff. It also gives, kills the good stuff. So how does that um, impact uh, the lives of our warriors? Um, and so that's just a little bit about me and how I got started, and I'm looking forward to uh, our conversation. Awesome. I think that is incredible. I think what you have kind of learn from being a parent of children with sickle cell and how it fuels you. I find it to be fascinating and rewarding. One thing I want to do is just back up just a quick second. You said that you learned about sickle cell in biology, which I think is um, a leg up for many people because I think sometimes when you're in school and you're learning things, if you don't have a connection with it, you don't always remember. So some of us may have learned about it, but it wasn't something that stood out in our minds. So it was like, uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. And so for you, you did have um, the knowledge of what sickle cell was from that experience. Why do you think you remembered about sickle cell from biology class? I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I love science. <laughs> and so biology, um, you know, biology class was something that I was really into. Um, genes and genetics is something that I was always fascinated by how our genes can, it, it makes everything that we are, you know, we are who we are because of our genetic makeup. Um, I think the thing that really fasc fascinated me the most um, is the fact that, it's just one amino acid change 
that has disrupted the whole entire um, cell, the red blood cell, right? So because of that one change, now instead of having nice, healthy, round blood cells, we have um, sickle cells, and those sickle cells cause so much problems, and it's just one change. And I'm like, how could one small little change cause so much problems? Um, and it also stuck because um, I knew someone in high school who had sickle cell, um, and my uh, cousin, um, he was married to someone who had sickle cell, and unfortunately, she passed away while I was in high school due to complications of sickle cell disease. So it wasn't something that was completely foreign to me. I had already um, had a relationship, um, not a direct relationship, but close enough that um, learning how something seemingly insignificant um, took the life of someone that was close to me. Wow. That is something that I think um, I kind of want to unpack just a little bit because I think when we have a frame of reference, whatever it may be, it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, it could be a classmate in school, but having something to connect those dots and connect the pieces really help in, helps to deepen the impression on our brains. And I think having that cousin um, and his wife, having that experience, or at least hearing the words and knowing that she had sickle cell disease was like, oh, okay. So when you took took the class, then it was all of a sudden, you know, like a bright light went off. This is what that means. And so I think that's very important. In America, it wasn't until 2006 that um, newborn screening became national in all of the states. Did you know that you had sickle cell trait growing up? So I actually did know I had um, the trait. And I recall even going to the pediatrician's office, and we didn't really talk so much about the trait, but I, I had anemia. Um, so I was always cold. My, my um, iron was always low. And I knew that I had anemia because I, I had sickle cell trait. Um, but there was never any education. Like, there, there are things that I remember. So I feel like... If there was education, I would have remembered that there was education on, like, things to think about and things to consider. And so I feel like there wasn't any education, right, um, because I remember um, other aspects of going to the pediatrician and talking about things that were relevant to my sickle cell disease, but none of them really on, well, this is what you need to consider, you know, as you're growing up, as you're getting older, when you start dating and, you know, like, I also, like, this is getting a little bit ahead, but I also, I have three children, and I never had um, genetic counseling. So, you know, there was a very huge disconnect for me, which, again, is one of the reasons why um, I became an advocate, because if I, being someone who kind of grasped what it meant to have um, sickle cell disease because of my my experience with my cousin and, you know, a friend of mine in high school, but it still didn't connect enough for me to realize, oh, well, if you get married, this is something that you need to think about because then you might have a child with sickle cell disease. Then there's obviously a big gap and a big disconnect. 
Um, so if I have that in my own experience, then imagine someone who does not have that same kind of connection, right? Um, and so even though I knew I struggled with anemia because of my trait, um, and I also uh, have pain, so when I get cold, I also have, you know, uh, considerable um, joint pain, which is not associated with arthritis, <laughs> then, um, then I, I knew enough to know that, oh, well, there's a connection there. Um, but again, not enough to think, well, you should probably be a little careful when it comes time to get married and have children. Mm. I think you said a, a lot in that statement because, yes, people are hearing now that they have sickle cell trait. And depending on where people were born and where they grew up, they may have that knowledge of having sickle cell trait, but that doesn't automatically mean that they were able to um, go into relationships knowing what that possibility is. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that because a lot of people don't know that if you have the trait, you can produce a child if you marry or procreate with somebody who has the trait too, that you can have a child with sickle cell disease. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I want to talk, you know, really kind of get into that caregiver experience um, because I'm a caregiver too, but you've been a caregiver longer than me. And I know that every child, every adult, every person who has sickle cell disease, their experience is different. You mentioned that you have two children with sickle cell disease. I want you to describe how their experiences ha were growing up and how they differ. Night and day. <laughs> they're, so, they're like polar opposites. Um, besides the fact that one's a boy and one's a girl. <laughs> um, but they're... From from the very beginning, um, their sickle cell manifested uh, differently. Um, so my son, who's the oldest, um, he has always had more like systemic pain. Um, he's always had um, abdominal um, pain as well. Um, we always knew when he was going to go into a crisis. It's the craziest thing, but he would sneeze three times in a row. And my husband and I would look at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> and, you know, there's no science behind that. Um, no rhyme or reason behind it. It's just something about those three three sneezes that we were just like, mm, yeah, <laughs> pack the bags, right? Um, and it, and I, part of it, though, is the fact that, so he does have allergies, he has asthma, which after being a part of the community, I learned that maybe he doesn't have asthma, it's just a part of the sickle in within his lungs, but, you know, that's a whole other discussion for, um, uh, for, the, for the medical side of vitamin SC3, um, but, but anyway, um, he also... Um, has a history of acute chest syndrome. So he's been in ICU more times than I would like. Um, twice, we weren't sure that he was going to make it out of ICU. Um, so there's that. My daughter, on the other hand, her, um, her issues has 
typically been more extremity pain. So she'll have pain in her arms and her legs. Um, and she's never had acute chest. She's never had acute chest. She's never been in ICU, thank God. Um, but she's also had silent strokes, which is something my son has never had. Um, and so she has, she had, um, what do you call it, exchange transfusions for several years um, to kind of address the issues with her silent strokes. And my son has never had an exchange, well, he's had exchange transfusion um, when it was medically necessary as a result of his crises, but it was never a, a treatment um, to, to prevent other things. Um, and so that's one way as they were growing up where their, their sickle cell disease manifested differently. Now that they're older, it's kind of weird because it's pretty much the same. They both have systemic pain. It's, it's chronic. They're in pain every day. Um, it's just how do they live with their pain? They kind of, they, they both, um, one is an entrepreneur, so he's working. The other one is, uh, my daughter is um, about to enter her junior year in college, and they're both um, very active and very busy and one will, one doesn't mind taking pain medication because he can move and do whatever he needs to do. And my daughter's like, yeah, I don't have time for that because it affects her differently. Um, so they handle their, their pain differently, but at the end of the day, they still have pretty much the same kind of pain. It's systemic and it's chronic. Interesting. You talked about the three sneezes, which I think is, <laughs> kind of mind boggling but I think as a parent you begin to study your child analyze things that are common triggers and different things in the way they affect your children that is a part of being a sickle cell caregiver you begin to notice patterns that exist and you have to teach your children how to recognize the cues that their body is giving them. So let's talk a little bit about those triggers and how you were able to kind of understand them as they were growing up. Because I know there are parents who are listening who who are like, well, you know, this is a new experience for me. I don't know. My child is crying. I don't know if that's a sickle cell crisis. Like, how were you able to say, hmm, this isn't just unusual or this isn't just something abnormal? Because some people will be like, oh, three sneezes, allergies, um, you know, they would attribute it to asthma. They would attribute it to something else and not sickle cell. How were you able to say, hmm, my child has triggers? And we know um, that there are some rules of thumb that we as sickle cell parents understand, like avoid um, extreme temperatures. So can you talk about those triggers and what you were able to understand? Right. So the first thing I would say is for the parents and caregivers out there that are listening is trust your gut. You got to trust your instincts, right? Um, as Especially um, mothers, no knock on fathers, but fathers did not carry that child, right? <laughs> mothers did. And for that reason, I strongly believe that there is, there is a connection that we as mothers have to the child where we can sense when things are off. We carried that child for nine, 10 months. 
And we just know when something is not right with our children. So um, trust your instinct. Trust when you feel that something is not right. Don't let a doctor shame you or or demean you or whatever into thinking that your thoughts, your feelings are incorrect or invalid in any way, shape, or form. That happens that has that happens way too much, um, and it shouldn't happen. And that's a whole nother conversation. But as far as triggers, um, you just have to watch and be mindful, and you learn as they get older. And they don't even have to be four, five, six, ten years old because sickle cell is lifelong. Um, Things things change as they get older, but there are certain things that are going to be the same, especially um, within certain ages and stages of their life. So yes, the sneezing might have been um, related to his 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 allergies and his asthma. It was during a time of year. It's it, it always happens in the fall. So it's during a time of year where allergy season is is a bit heightened, but. We know that is a trigger for him um, because it has been a trigger in the past, and we know that the fall and him and sickle cell just it's just not a good time of year for him, right? Um, and another thing that I have learned is to just monitor and keep an eye on anything that might be out of the ordinary. Um, and be patient. Give yourself grace. It literally took me until he was like 15 or 16 years old before I realized that his mood was a result of him being in pain. Um, there was there was one time where he was so happy and so joyful and just engaging with everybody in the family, and I realized he wasn't in pain. And then when his pain came back, his mood went back to just being sad and disengaged and kind of, you know, despondent. And I was like, oh, my goodness. All this time, I thought he was just a moody adolescent when he wasn't. He was just in pain. So it took me that long to realize that, it was pain and not an attitude problem. Um, and then once I realized that, I was able to respond to him differently. So it does take time. So give yourself grace. Just, you know, be mindful of the fact that it's going to constantly change and we're growing and we're learning together. Um, and they don't always know either what their cues are. And so, as we find out what their cues are, we educate them on what their cues are, and we teach them as well to pay attention so that they are aware of what their cues are. And then they could also um, teach us on what their cues are because, you know, we're not with them 24-7, um, and, and they need to be just as vigilant and alert with what is off with them as we need to be as vigilant and alert. Interesting. 
when you were talking about your son and his moods, it made me think about your daughter and puberty and how when a young girl starts going through puberty and it's that time for her cycle, sometimes they can get very moody. And because that deals with, you know, our blood, did you notice any changes in your daughter around puberty that you think would be more associated with sickle cell rather than just being a teen girl during those um, adolescent years? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And um, going back to how my um, my son and my daughter are like polar opposites, I think everything she went through during puberty was all puberty. It had nothing to do with sickle cell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I and I, she she might she might say otherwise, um, and her father might say differently. But from this mama bear's perspective, I'm saying it was all puberty. <laughs> okay, okay. So I love that you also talked about, you know, you gave um, just a bit of advice about understanding and trusting your gut. Sometimes doctors won't always be on your side, but can you kind of share your experience you live in an area in the DMV that has some of the best doctors in the world. So have you had um, kind of, a, you know, highs and lows of partnering with your children's doctors? Definitely, definitely. Um, hematologists, up until they became 20 and 21, um, we have pretty good um, experiences with. Um, it ebbed and flowed with their pediatrician. We had a really good pediatrician um, when they were first born, but, you know, things change. So we haven't always had really good pediatricians or um, family care um, physicians. And there were battles. There were battles between... Um, so my, my son also, um, has scoliosis. And when I first noticed that I brought that to, um, the pediatrician's attention and the pediatrician was like, Oh no, he's fine. I'm like, Nope, he's not. That's fine. ain't straight. Um, and 10 years later, 10, 11 years later, um, his spine now they he needs corrective surgery right um and having spoken to people who also um has scoliosis i get questions like well did he ever wear a brace i'm like nope it's like well why not I'm like i don't know it was never recommended I didn't know that that was even a thing, right? Um, and so I, I attribute the fact that um, because my concern wasn't taken seriously soon enough, um, why he um, needs corrective surgery. Now he might still need corrective surgery, um, but it might not be to the point where his scoliosis ended up affecting his sickle cell as well, right? So when you think about your spine and it being 
you know, improperly curved. And you think about the fact that 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 curvature is now going to affect um, your gait. It's going to affect um, how you're able to the your your hip, the the way that your hip is in alignment or not in alignment. Um, and someone who's already has chronic pain, so now you're just adding more issues on top of that, right? So you're not straight, and then your internal organs might now be um, out of place. So you're you're adding more issues on top of that. And I feel like had I been listened to <laughs> earlier, we probably could have been able to minimize some of these issues. Um, before they got to the point where they are now. Um, we had some of the same um, problems, or we're having some of the same problems now with my daughter, uh, now that she's 20, where her um, physician doesn't want to really listen to her when she's telling her, these medications that I'm taking is not working for me um, because I want to be able to go to class and do well in class and go to work and function at work. I want to be able to, she's, she's a college student. She wants to be able to live her best college life without feeling the side effects that pain medicine causes. And her doctor, you know, is just telling her, well, you're not taking your medicine properly and that's why you're in pain. No. I'm in pain <laughs> because the medication's not working, and when I do take the medication, it makes me feel even worse, and I'm still in pain. Right. So it's, it's a constant challenge trying to get physicians to listen, even being someone that my physician, that their physician knows is in the position that I'm in. They know that I'm in a sickle cell community. They know that I'm an advocate. They know that I sit on multiple different boards and committees within the community. Um, and yet they still act as if to say nothing that I say is going to change the knowledge and information that they have or going to change the protocols that, they're, that, that, that they have. Would you say that because your daughter is facing that experience now, that this would be a time to start maybe interviewing new physicians or maybe finding a way to have maybe her pedi her um, family doctor or her reg you know the regular doctor talk to the hematologist, like having someone else advocate on her behalf that is in the medical field so that they can listen? Like, what do you think the um, resolution for the problem can be? I think there, there possibly is several, but what have you kind of brainstormed to make it better? Because, you know, it's tough because she's in a tough position, but it definitely has to change. Yeah. Um, so my daughter and I have spoken about that and I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck right now because she is an adult. Um, and there are things that 
I would like to do, um, such as um, speaking to her doctor about it um, and speaking to her doctor with her about it. I like the idea of bringing in the primary care doctor, but I'm not really, honestly, I'm not really sure how much the primary care doctor knows about sickle cell disease outside of, right? Um, just because someone's a physician does not mean that they know about sickle cell disease. Um, interviewing uh, a new uh, hematologist is that's in her court, right? That would have to be something that she would be willing to do. And right now she is not in that um, space to even go there, right? Um, and so what I what I've been trying to do is work with her through this, um, trying to empower her. She knows that she's in control, but she's at a place where, well, her physician has made her feel like she's the problem, like my daughter's the problem. My daughter's the one that's doing something wrong. And so where they had that trust and relationship, now it's kind of fragile now. And with that relationship with someone that she trusted being so fragile, it makes it more difficult for her to want to go out and build another relationship. And so I'm just trying to encourage her, um, and this is for, this is really for anyone that is in that transition stage because this is where it really becomes hard and where we as a community um, need to work together with each other um, because you, you're you're not cute like you're not cute anymore. Like being being a kid with sickle cell is is not cute anymore when you're when, once you cross over into the eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old stage. Now you're you're now you're an adult with sickle cell disease and you kind of got to fend for yourself. Um, and the conversations kind of change. I'm not sure what causes that switch to flip why the conversation changes but for, for some reason um that conversation does change and it's it's not as um it's not as cooperative as it used to be and so just i i would just encourage our young adult warriors to not give up and not to allow, you know, doctors to make you feel like you're the problem because you're not the problem. The medical system is the problem. And in order for the community, especially this this transition group, to overcome the medical system, you got to fight it. It sucks. You're already fighting your sickle cell. And half the time you don't even have enough strength to do that. But in order to get past where we are, we have to fight the medical system so that young adult warriors could get the care that they need so that they can grow up to be healthy adult warriors that are living successful, productive lives. Absolutely. 
you just brought up the word transition and you did describe it, but I want to kind of segment the word out just a little bit and unpack it for our guests. Because as a mom, I'm, I'm a mom of a 13 year old right now and transition is a term that brings fear into my mind. It brings sadness. It brings anxiety. And why is that? Because we know that the transition years, you mentioned that's around 18 and 19, that's when our children are moved from pediatric care where their physicians often have compassion because no one wants to see a child in pain because you have these cute little cheeks and you're like, oh no, don't be in pain. But when they become an adult, all of a sudden it's like they want you to just stop being in pain or that you know, the solutions that even weren't even working when you were a child are all of a sudden supposed to magically cure it all and you're not supposed to be any pain. And we know that there have been multiple studies about systemic pain, about acute pain, and how there are some sickle cell patients who are in constant pain all the time, but it's when, you know, they tend to go to the hospital when that pain gets to be at a point where they can no longer manage it themselves. And unfortunately, sometimes in our community, we we think about that pain as the worst thing in sickle cell. But what we know being in the advocacy community, that even without pain, sickle cell is wreaking havoc. And so we need doctors to not just um, look at the patient to treat the pain, but look at the whole person and everything that's going on. In this conversation, you mentioned that you have a child and, you know, children with, with other issues going on. And so sickle cell can affect every single aspect of a person's body. And it also can affect their mental health. So so that transition period that you talked about is really a pivotal time. And so um, for those who are listening, we are speaking about this because we don't want transition to be a source of pain, a source of anxiety, and a source of fear. It's not just that way for the caregiver, but it's also that way for the children because they move from their trusted physicians to other physicians who may not have that rapport. And so I don't know if the physician who was the pediatric physician talks to the um, the new physician, like, is there kind of a meeting of the minds that happens? Because you leave the person, I, you know, I think about my daughter's physicians and I love them, <laughs> you know, like they become yeah. a part of the family. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I have some years to go. But when I when I think about her leaving them, there's mm-hmm. some tears <laughs> that come up and I'm like yep. no I'm I'm already starting that morning period because I don't want her to leave them so so is there a meeting of the minds that happen with the physicians can you kind of describe how that happened for your daughter and and son do they see the same hematologist yeah so um we're fortunate I think I can say fortunate it depends. Anyway, um, they're still they're still in the same clinic um, because the clinic has transitioned now to 
pediatric adolescent young adult clinic. So they're taking they're, they're taking everyone up to 26, I think. Um, so so that's a good thing. They have not transitioned out of their clinic just yet, and 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 they didn't want to. That was a choice that they were able to make, whether or not they wanted to stay or whether or not they wanted to. Um, find someplace else for their care. They want they wanted to stay. Um, so I think that's a good thing because that speaks to um, the relationship that they have, not just with their physician, but everyone within the clinic. Um, my daughter being um, uh, away at school, we did need to make sure we um, set her up with um, a hematologist um, uh, in North Carolina, and we were very intentional about that. And this is where we as as parents and caregivers have the power. <laughs> um, we can be intentional when we're shopping around for new physicians, um, how that process goes. And so um, what we did was we uh, found a physician um, who we felt would be a good fit for our family. We um, brought this physician to her, you know, current, because, you know, the her home hematologist is still her home hematologist. So we brought the new one to her current one to get her input and advice about that person. Um, and and even though there's that little friction that's going on now, her hematologist vets all of her doctors, right? Like she looks them up and see, you know, where they are and what they know and and things of the sort. So so she did that, and then they um, got on the phone and spoke to each other with with our permission, of course. So we made sure that prior to my daughter going off to a new physician there was communication between the old and the new and us. So it was a triangle of communication so that everybody knew what was to expect. And that would be my biggest advice to anyone that is going through the transition or started the transition. Um, Take the time, like, Eleanor, you said that you have a 13-year-old. Start from now just following doctors. That's what social media is like your friends, right? Follow doctors on social media, know who is in that space and what they're doing and how involved and, and knowledgeable they are um, about sickle cell. Uh, and then, it, you know, you can, a consultation for the most part is free so that you can kind of just have a conversation with that physician and, and see how you feel, what kind of um, first impression vibe you get from them. Um, and then when the time comes, have your potential physician speak with your current physician um, with you and your child a part of that conversation and and see how that goes. You, you, you set up, um, you know, talk about goals and expectations where you are and where you want to go. And that's, that's how we did it. And um, it, I think it worked. Um, is it perfect? No, because it's still incumbent upon the uh the my daughter to do her part once she's away from home but um at least it gives me the peace of mind knowing that she's someplace that um can take good care of her oh i love that you had the courage to allow your daughter to go 
away to school and you put the different pieces in place so that she would get comprehensive care. And I think what you described is so important. So we are going to um, put some questions that you can ask a new physician in our show notes. So everybody definitely keep this portion in mind because I think it's so critical. Um, Even if your child isn't going off to school, if they're going to work in a different city, even if you have an adult child, you may need to work with them to help them bridge this process because it could be very helpful to making sure that they get love and care. I think when you see beforehand the work that is put into place, a physician is going to be like, ooh, they're serious. Let me take them serious. I think because of that pre-work, when it's done, sometimes that can actually frame how your care goes because they know where you're coming from, that you're Mm -hmm. serious, that you're intentional. And you use that word intentional. And so I'm just wondering, did you Google the new physician or did you ask around in the city? Because I I feel like, you know, for for most of us, we're just going to go to Google, type in our insurance, find out who the physicians are. But I think it's it's even more than that. Sometimes you have to ask people in the area. So if you could just kind of touch on that real quick. Um, <laughs> um, I did Google her, um, but even beyond, <laughs> even beyond Googling her. So like I said, um, I... I utilize my community and my network as well to, to, to pinpoint a physician. And so I reached out to someone who I've heard speak at conferences and who I, you know, read papers from and who I see tweet on Twitter. Um, and, and then I, check to see if that person was a part of the insurance. So I actually reached out to the person first and then did the whole insurance thing. But um, it was someone, so it was, it's Dr. Iffy, right? Who's now is not even at Atrium. (laughs) She's not even at Atrium anymore. But, um, but because it's someone that I knew, like if I go to Chicago, I'm reaching out to Dr. Z. That's just going to be it, right? Like there's there's just no way. And if I go to 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 Alabama, or if someone goes to Alabama, you know, I'm I'm reaching out to um to oh gosh, I forgot her name all of a sudden. But anyway, I have my people in certain states where I'm like I know who I'm going to, and and even if it's even if they refer me to somebody else. I know they're going to refer me to somebody that is worth me going to because these are people that I've been following, that I know their work. I know the work that they do in and for the community. Um, so, yeah, I reached out to Dr. Ify because I knew my daughter was going to be in that area. <laughs> and she was there for a minute, um, and then she wasn't, but that's okay because where Dr. Ify is, you know, is going to be a good place and it's a good place. Um, and it also turns out that through um, a conference, uh, the SCAPE conference, and I can never remember what SCAPE stands for, but um, Dr. Wally Smith from UVA, he puts on 
um, a conference um, every year. And through that conference, I came in contact with um, a whole host of North Carolina CBO um, like members. And so I had all of their contact information already. And so when it came time, I just emailed them and I was like, do you guys have any recommendations for ABC, X, Y, and Z? And they hooked me up with recommendations. One of them now is even, uh, you know, uh, connected with my daughter and she looks out, looks out for my daughter. And um, so it's, it's, that's why networking is so important. That's why being a part of the community and, and, and getting involved is so important. So, but if you don't know people like Dr. Izzy, <laughs> you don't know who these people are and um, their impact in the community, um, ask. Ask um, other warriors. Um, the Sickle Cell Consortium is a great resource. Um, Al is a great resource. I know she knows people. Uh, this, uh the National Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, they're a great resource because uh, each state also has their own affiliates so they will be able to connect you. And, I mean, we can probably give you a list of people who are great resources um, and to just reach out to, and they can tell you um, who is in your state or who is in your area um, that will be able to connect you to a good physician. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like this has just been so good. Um, I know we have to draw it to a close, but I, before we go, I want you to kind of talk about advocacy because a big part of what you do is advocacy. And you just described how advocacy has directly impacted your daughter's care in college. And that is something that we may not have previously thought of. But the connections and the people that you're running across in the advocacy space can directly help your child. And you, you're you building a support system. We didn't necessarily talk about your support system growing up, um, well, with your ch children as they were growing up. I feel like that's a tricky thing. But the <laughs> fact that you created a support system for her in college, I think is commendable and something that we all can put in our toolkit for the future. So can you just, um, as we close, talk about um, advocacy and possibly touch on um, building a support system? Yeah, so... The support system is interesting. That is a touchy subject. Um, yeah, when you have sickle cell disease, sometimes it's just, it, 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 for a very long time, it was just my husband and myself and, and, and my three children. Because um, people don't really understand, like, what it, it's like and what you go through. We do have, um, we do have friends who were there, um, who came and visited when my children were in the hospital. Um, you know, not many, but we do have few, and we greatly appreciate those. We have one friend who doesn't matter where they are in the hospital. Um, he's coming to visit, and he's not coming empty-handed either. <laughs> and so um, there are people that we were able to, to count on for, for hospital visits, um, but, you know, Sickle cell is 
all day, every day, 24-7, 365 days of the year. And when they're not in the hospital, we still needed a lot of support. Um, and at that point, it was really just um, my husband and myself. But as far as advocacy goes, so this is, like I said before, I, I went back to school um, and got my degree in public health um, because I wanted to learn what it means to be an advocate. Jokes on me, though. There's no real degree on, there's no real advocacy degree. <laughs> so um, they have a policy degree, but there's not an advocacy degree, but that's okay. I still learned what I needed to, to learn um, so that I can become um, an effective advocate and so that I can also teach my children how to become an effective advocate. Um, through, through what I've been able to accomplish, um, I... <laughs> And this is something that my daughter and I have been, like, toying around. So pre-pandemic, we were supposed to start a podcast um, called Sick Aware and stands for Sickle Cell um, Advocacy, Wellness, Research, and Education. And the whole point was to, uh, to raise sickle cell awareness um, in the areas of advocacy, so teaching people how to advocate for themselves, um, how to get involved in advocacy um, and, you know, wellness, in how to take care of your, your health and um, how to take care of each other, getting um, people informed about um, um, research and how to get involved in research, and, of course, um, the overall education of that. So we started. We have a couple of episodes. Nothing has been um, launched yet, of course, but um, I don't know, maybe COVID happened, So and then then she went to college, and so, you know, there went that. Um, but I've been toying around with the idea because I really want to do more for, for, for my community. I want to do more for the sickle cell community. Um, and I've been toying around with the idea of turning sickleware into an LLC um, so that I can really make an, an impact. Not to say that I don't feel like I'm making an impact now, um, but I feel like if I did that, I can make an even bigger impact because um, there are things that um, Francine Baker is limited in doing where um, a Sickleware as an LLC will be able to do um, even more. And so this is something that I hope that I will be able to, to get started. And I'm just going to continue. In the meantime, I'm going to continue to... Um, take as many courses and training. So I'm taking um, Dr. Simone Yuan's uh, medical advocacy course. Um, there's also another, um, I think it's a patient advocacy training um, that I'm going to be taking and, and I'm going to be pursuing um, a public health certificate. Um, so right now I just have my, my bachelor's in public health and I'm going to get my, my certificate. So I'm going to, I'm working on ways that I can, um, strengthen my ability to advocate for my community and also teach others within the community um, to, to be an advocate because, like I always tell my children, you are your best advocate. Like, if you're not going to advocate for you, then who's going to do it, right? No one could advocate for you the way that you want to be advocated for. Absolutely. This has been terrific. And I will be looking for your podcast. It is not too late. I feel like when when the time is right, everything will align. 
And so um, I'm here to support you in that endeavor. Just let me know how I can support you because I feel like we do need many voices. Sickle cell affects millions of people worldwide. And so we need more stories because we all have different lenses and different experiences to share with the world. So the more, the merrier. You're doing amazing work in the advocacy space, and I'm super proud of you. So thank you so much for talking to us and being on Vitamin SC3. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Um, and. I can't wait to see where this goes. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. We hope that you will leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, a new episode is coming out next Monday. So please tune in and enjoy. Enjoy.